This is News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Yeah, good afternoon. A new voice for you for most of the country. Mike Kaycook. I am from AM 800 CKLW in Windsor, the Bell Media Station there. And uh, thanks for joining us for the next couple hours. There is so much going on. It's like we got to pack it all into the next two hours. we got our war room coming up as we normally do on Wednesdays. We'll get our panel to talk about some of the big stories that are uh, taking place uh, in politics. And uh, we'll do that around 1 o'clock, about an hour from now. And, uh, you know, the big story of the day. One, the weather. Okay, let's talk about the weather because most of southern Ontario, anyway, I was looking at the weather out east and out west. It looks like you're about normal out east uh, in victoria vancouver you're about normal as well but people seem to be losing their minds in, in, in you know along the 401 corridor between toronto and ottawa where apparently there was snow this morning and nobody was ready for this isn't is something we should be ready for this is canada and we should be ready for snow and uh yeah i, I was hearing a lot about uh, crashes in, in the different cities in toronto and ottawa so hopefully everybody's okay like, like just take your time you're going to be all good. Get those winter tires on now when you can. I'm sure you were caught off guard uh, with that. And uh, you, everybody will be safe for the drive home, hopefully. Uh, and it seems like those first snowfalls of the year, wherever they take place, that we hear about crashes all the time. And it's just like it's like a yearly thing. We haven't had ours down uh, in, in, in Windsor, Essex yet. But, you know, if you had yours today. Uh, let us know. Let us know how your morning commute uh, went, and uh, you can give us a call uh, today, or you can text us as well as we uh, we open up our phone lines uh, for anything you want to talk about. One eight five five six three three ten ten. One eight five five six three three ten ten. And uh, give us a call. Let us know how your morning commute went. The big story of the day. That just happened in the last few hours is uh, what's happening with QP in Ontario. And uh, you heard about this uh, maybe already this morning about what's taking place and more drama when it comes to the negotiations between the Ontario government and uh, the union. More than 50,000 education workers are now in Ontario. They're set to go on strike Monday after the union filed a five-day strike notice just this morning. The press conferences from the education minister, Stephen Lecce. We had press conference from CUPE as well, telling their side of the story. And CUPE saying that the strike notice was filed after bargaining talks with the province that broke down uh, once more. Uh, so CUPE says it reached some middle ground with the government on wages, but now the union still wants certain staffing levels to be guaranteed. Now, I hadn't heard a lot about this before all this. To me, it was all about the wages. And now we're hearing about staffing levels being another big issue. The education minister, Stephen Lecce, he spoke this morning at a press conference just ahead of 10 o'clock uh, today. And he talked about the increased offer from the government. We have increased the offer. We have significantly increased our a salary offer for the lowest paid worker, as we said we would. We removed and revoked the bill. We did everything we said in good faith to get a deal. And I think we're all asking the same question, why we're here today. Yeah, why are we here today? And, you know, it's going to be interesting now to see what public sentiment is like. And I'd like to hear from people this morning who are hearing this news and, and want to comment at at one eight five five six three three ten ten. Where do you stand on this now? Your kids, as of right now, uh, they're going to be in school. We got five days of negotiations left. We're going to check in with uh, Siobhan Morris 
from CTV News coming up uh, just after the bottom of the hour to get the latest in, in her take on on what was said by both sides. But, you know, wh- where do you stand on this? I, I, I have a really bad feeling as far as QP is concerned that things have changed where they had public support the first time around when the government enacted the uh, the, the the rule to avoid a strike and really mandate that uh, the the uh, them back to work just a few weeks ago. And I mean, it hasn't been that long. They've been at they haven't been at the table all that long. But when they put in the notwithstanding clause, I think most people were supporting QP and saying, "Hey, this isn't right. This is this is an overstep by the government." And now. QP after that to me had all the power and they were in the driver's seat. I think they've given it away now with saying, you know, uh, okay, we got, we got some of our cash uh, that we wanted for our members, some of our lower member, lower paid members. But now, you know what? We want staffing levels up and uh, you know, isn't that the up to the government to decide staffing levels and not the union? They're, they're the employer. If you look at it in a more private sector, way you would think you know they are they are the government they are the employer they will decide you know how many jobs they hire how many services they have is that really up to the union and yeah i hadn't heard that much to today uh, up until today about uh anything but wages and it looks like they're closer on wages you know we heard from uh, laura walton as well from qb uh, she says, you know, about the wages, uh, we're getting close and, you know, we've made some wins, but here's what she had to say earlier about this. It's not nearly what we deserve for the care and effort and incredible passion we put into our jobs. And it's certainly not enough to make up for a decade of having the government's hands in our pockets. Okay, so there's Laura Walton from earlier uh, representing CUPE, and, and she's in negotiations, of course, uh, with uh with everybody from Ontario and uh, also went on to say that, you know what, as far as the parents are concerned, you will not be abandoned. We will not abandon parents just because Doug Ford waves a loony in our face. We are not that easily bought nor that easily distracted. Okay, so, you know, this is something that has really ramped up now. It's almost like it was put on the back burner since they were, uh, you know, the, the government uh, we let them, uh, you know, uh, go back to work, uh, got rid of the notwithstanding clause, and QP stru- uh, went on their one-day strike, and then everybody was back at work on Monday. But now this Monday, November 21st, they will be in the strike position again. we got five days. Now, will this be something that forces more talk? Two sides, they said, you know what, uh, we will sit down at the table. We'll try to, uh, you know, we'll try to work it out. But, uh, you know, what are we going to work out now? Like, how much more will the government give? Stephen Lecce, he talked about that to say, you know what, we've we've put a lot of more money into uh, the system. We've we've raised wages. And now where do you go? Do you talk about staffing levels? And when CUPE says it's 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 not about the money, usually when people say it's not about the money, it's about the money. And, you know, they made some strides, but, you know, it looks like they, they want a little more. They've come down from their original 11% uh, request when this was first uh, when this was first kicked off. So we'll talk about this as uh, as the afternoon goes on here on uh, the iHeartRadio network. And, and of course, uh, your thoughts as well, if, if you want to join us and let us know. What uh, what you think about this news that has come out this morning that your kids may be out of school uh, on Monday in Ontario? One eight five five six three three ten ten. 
is the uh, is the number to call uh, today here on News Talk today. Mike Kaycook uh, with you filling in just for one day. Mark Tui will be back tomorrow in the chair hosting. Uh, the other story from last night was Donald Trump saying, you know what, we're going to do it again. Let's go. Let's try for a third time. One win. One loss, unless you ask him. But he says, you know what? We're going to do it again. He announced last night that he will be running for president of uh, the United States and kicked it off from Florida last night. Here was the announcement. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. And he spoke about the campaign. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. Because the only force strong enough to defeat the massive corruption we are up against is you, the American people. He was it was a different tone last night from Donald Trump. I found he was a little more subdued, like he brought it down a little bit. And I found that he was not using his nicknames. He mentioned Nancy Pelosi, didn't call her crazy Nancy. He called her or uh, he mentioned Joe Biden, didn't call him Sleepy Joe. So that was the big story out of U.S. politics last night. And it's like, oh, my God, we have like two years to go. And he's already announcing. And we're going to hear this for for like two years now. All about the presidential election. I'm just I was sick of seeing all the commercials and hearing all the uh, the stuff about the uh, the midterm elections. And now we got this. So we'll come back. We'll talk about all these issues as we continue on the iHeartRadio network. Mike K. Cook with you today here on News Talk Today. To News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Yeah, welcome back uh, to News Talk Today here on the iHeartRadio Network. Mike Kaycock filling in today. One day, Mark Tui will be back tomorrow. And uh, again, plenty to get to uh, as as really things are happening in Ontario, in, in our country, in the United States, and really a big story that has taken place over the last 24, 48 hours is what's happening with uh, Poland and Ukraine and Russia. And NATO's chief and the president of Poland both say there's no indications now that a missile that came down in Polish farmland and killed two people was a deliberate attack. There was a little... I don't know, a little controversy there. They were still trying to decide, okay, was this an attack on to Poland, a NATO nation? And a, an attack on one NATO nation is an attack on all NATO nations. And what would that do? They said the Ukraine likely launched the Soviet area projectile as it was fending off a Russian air assault. The missile came down Tuesday as Russia launched missiles, exploding drones that really just tore apart Ukraine's power grid. Poland said the missile was Russian-made. U.S. President Joe Biden said it was unlikely 
that Russia fired it. Three U.S. officials said preliminary assessments suggested it was fired by Ukrainian forces at this incoming Russian missile. So, you know, where do we go from here? And it's a story that, you know, I don't think we're paying attention as much to what's happening between Ukraine and Russia, but obviously they are there. This is something that is important. It's a worldwide event. Joining us now is retired Major General Dennis Thompson. He served 39 years in the Canadian Army, deploying on multiple operations, including command of NATO's task force in Kandahar, Canada's special operations forces. And he joins us now here on News Talk today on the iHeartRadio network. Major General, thank you for your time uh, this afternoon. Mike, thank you for having me. What were your concerns when you first heard about this story? Well, let's start with uh, two observations, if I may. First is that we know from uh, previous incidents that the accuracy of initial reports is always questionable and that you would be very prudent to conduct an investigation. And that's exactly what's happened here. And the indications are that uh, the errant missile, we'll call it, wasn't of Russian origins. I mean, Russian manufacturer, yes, but not of Russian origins. And therefore, it's not as grave. Uh, it's not a direct attack, if you will, by the Russians on uh, Poland. However, my second observation is that uh, this errant surface-to-air missile, which caused, sadly, the tragic death of two innocents, is a distraction. The real story is Russia continues to attack Ukrainian civilian infrastructure, this was the largest saturation attack they've conducted to date. Previously, uh, after they lost uh, the Kerch Bridge on the 8th of October, two days later, they fired an estimated 84 missiles at Ukraine, half of which were intercepted. This time around, they're, uh, clearly Mr. Putin is not happy with the fact that he lost the town of Kherson, nor was he happy to hear Mr. Zelensky refer to the G20 as the G19. And so he, has, he launched an even larger salvo of missiles, some 100 cruise missiles, and from open source intelligence, 73 of them were knocked down. That still means 27 cruise missiles hit non-military civilian infrastructure targets inside of Ukraine. That's the real story today. Mm, yeah, it, it certainly is. We're, we're nine months into this thing now or so. Uh, Major General Dennis Thompson sir, uh, joining us here on the iHeartRadio Network. Are we anywhere closer? Because it sounds like things have escalated even more in the, in the last week or two than they were even uh, just before that. Yes and no. Uh, clearly, Ukraine retains the initiative and they will continue to push now that they are, have Russia completely off of the north and uh, west side of the Dnipro River. Uh, they're in a position now to penetrate even further and cut the land bridge that Russia so uh, difficult, in a very difficult fashion, opened up between Russia and themselves. Previously, they had to rely on the Kersh Bridge, and we've already discussed that thing is out of action until next spring at the at the earliest, and uh, has put a real spanner in the works, if you will, for the Russians. So that's one aspect of it. But just to go back to these rocket attacks, the estimate, and again, I'm just citing open source intelligence here, was that there was in the vicinity of 1,800 high-tech caliber Niskander missiles in the Russian, uh, Russian uh, arm armories. And it's believed that there's only 600 that remain. And the only way that Russia can be effective is through these saturation attacks. So if they're going to throw 100 at a time, they've got six more bolts in their, uh, in their quiver. And uh, I think that that's fairly important. This is uh, clearly 
They cannot restock those missiles because the internal technology is of dual-use Western manufacture, and that those dual-use components, those high-tech components, are the ones that are irreplaceable due to the sanctions that are in place. So, uh, yes, uh, the war is going to continue, uh, but it's definitely the ball is definitely in Ukraine's court, and I believe that they will continue to push just as they have done uh, since since September. Should should NATO get more involved at this point? Well, this is a. I mean, I heard a lot of people talk about Article Four, and Article Four is already in play in this particular conflict. It was. W- uh, what is Article Four? Well, Article Four basically is. If the territorial integrity or political independence or security of any of the NATO nations is threatened, then they can call together the North Atlantic Council, which is this gathering of uh, NATO ambassadors in Brussels, to discuss what further actions can be taken. It's not like uh, Article 5, which is, you know, attack on one is attack on all, and, and there's an expectation that you're going to respond militarily. In this case, what they did in 2014, they, they invoked it in 2014, and that's how the uh, train mission, for instance, that Canada got involved in would have been facilitated. And again, here in 2022, they did it when Russia invaded uh, Ukraine proper. And they did two things. Essentially, they pledged a whole, as we all know, and I'll use a great Canadian expression here, a whole hockey sock full of material to help out Ukraine. And that will and should continue and it means that a lot of it has to transit NATO countries, and they're all cooperating fully. And the second thing is they bolstered the eastern flank so of NATO. So if you think of the late June NATO summit in Brussels, even Canada stepped up because we do have the enhanced, enhanced forward presence battle group in Latvia, which previously was manned about seven, by 700 Canadian soldiers as well as other multinationals. And now it's going to trend towards uh, 1,500 by the time they're done reinforcing it. So Article 4, in many ways, is already um, uh, in play. But there will be another conversation at the North Atlantic uh, Council in Brussels very shortly to determine if more should be done to help out Ukraine. Well, we'll see where this goes. You know, I think it was a, it, the the tension between everyone involved in this, whether it be Ukraine, Russia, in uh, the NATO countries. It, it seemed like you know we were like on the verge of World War Three when this took place. And you write what you said, uh, Major General uh, Dennis Thompson, the the fact that you know cooler heads prevailed. They looked into this the proper way and found out okay this is exactly what happened this is something that uh you know we don't have to react to with military power precisely uh, i mean it, it's worth pointing out that a, a a missile impact if someone fires a missile from one part of their country to into another country uh there are multiple ways it'll be picked up whether it's by radar or by space space based means um i mean a, a missile when it launches is like a welding torch going up in the sky. It's almost impossible to to be fired undetected. So I think, at the very senior levels where they would be, where they have access to this sort of intelligence, they would have known fairly early on that this didn't look like it was was a deliberate assault by the Russians. And furthermore, why would they uh, target a Polish farm when they if they really want to strike Poland, they're going to go after um, NATO bases and NATO military facilities. So. Uh, I agree. Cooler heads did prevail, uh, even though there was a bit of a frenzy in the media. 
Major General, thank you for your time. That is Major General Dennis Thompson, retired. He served 39 years in the Canadian Army, deploying on uh, multiple operations, and we appreciate his insight. And I know, you know, looking at uh, some of the response that that it, that came in when we heard about this, it's like, oh my God, what is going to happen? We'll uh, come back. We'll talk more about uh, QP set the strike deadline on Monday next. You're listening to News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Good afternoon, Mike Kaycook with you today here on News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Network. Good to be here. We're here till 2 o'clock and the big story here that we've been covering over the last few hours in Ontario anyway is the fact that uh, QP, which represents these 55,000 education workers, have again filed strike notice as negotiations with the government they have stalled. We are at the stall position again. So it looks like uh, as of Monday, uh, your kids could be home again. And they filed this strike notice in a statement Wednesday morning. Stephen Lecce said that since talks resumed a few days ago, the province has put forward multiple offers that would add hundreds of millions of dollars across the sector, especially for lower income workers. But QP has thus far rejected them uh and, and then in their statement qb held a press conference said education workers have given notice of this strike it would start in five days and that the central bargaining committee was able to reach a middle ground on wages but says the government's refusing to invest in the services that students need and parents expect and that has led to where we are right now joining us now from ctv news is siobhan morris who was covering these press conferences uh siobhan uh, good afternoon it sounds like uh i don't know th- this was a surprise that this all of a sudden came up this morning to me uh were you shocked that we heard from both sides and that we're may see a strike on monday nope uh not at all uh, i gotta say we knew that you know monday we saw the legislation uh that imposed a previous contract uh rescinded and then that was kind of the monkey that QB said they felt they needed off their back to, like, really get down to brass tacks and be negotiating at the table. Both sides were really quiet yesterday. I started to hear maybe some rumors that a five-day strike notice was coming uh, because we did hear from uh, QP on Monday that both sides were still pretty far apart in terms of, uh, in terms of bargaining. I got a text from somebody from QP at 1235 uh, AM this morning about heads up for a news conference. And when you get that kind of heads up for a news conference, it's not usually good news. So I'm not surprised that we ended up here. Um, that's a long way to say, no, I'm not surprised. Okay. Uh, you're not, you're the insider and that's why you're on with us right now here on the iHeartRadio network. Uh, you know, we talk about, uh, the salaries and it sounds like they've, they've come pretty close or at least have an agreement on the salary increases, Siobhan, but what about uh, the need for more staffing? Did we hear much about that before today? Uh, we did. What's interesting, I guess, is that the the union is, is saying today that this was never about wages, that it was always about services. I, I don't think that that's really true. The kind of tagline of their campaign in this negotiation process has been 39000 is not enough. They've really been focusing on, on boosting the wages of their lowest paid workers. At the same time, yes, they have been talking about stuff like getting an early childhood educator in every single uh 
kindergarten classroom in adding prep time for uh, educational assistance. They have been talking about those things, but the the wages have really dominated the conversation this to this point. And they're saying today, yes, we got the government to move, not to where we wanted, but far from where the government had wanted to go in terms of wages. And they feel like, the, you know, the, the raise that the government's now offering is something they can live with. But the union says that the government has been completely inflexible when it comes to adding those positions like more early childhood educators. Siobhan Morris, Queen's Park reporter, CTV News, joining us here on the iHeartRadio network. Uh, so where do we go now? Are, are talks going to continue? We have no reason to believe that talks won't continue. Um, last time we were in this position was because the mediator said, look, you guys are too far apart. There's not really any point in you guys continuing to talk um, because you're just, the gulf between you is huge. We have not heard that kind of signal from the mediator at this point. So as far as we're concerned, talks continue. So there is still, again, uh, the possibility of both sides coming to an agreement that they can both live with. Uh, between now and Monday. But of course, that's a a scary day for parents, for school boards, for kind of everybody in the province, because it really we saw during the two day strike in October how um, uh, this could really upend uh, the regular course of things. Okay, well, keep us updated. Uh, You know, uh, you're on the watch, you know, you know, the stuff that's going on. And I'm sure we're going to be talking to you uh, plenty in the next few days. You bet. Siobhan Morris, Queens Park uh, reporter, CTV News Toronto. Uh, and, and we want to know how you feel about this uh, in 855-633-1010. And you can text us at 71010 here on News Talk today. You know, I feel that now when we hear this news coming out uh, this morning from both sides, I think QP is going to be losing their public support, which they had after the last strike that they went on on that Friday when the government invoked uh, that that clause and when they put in the notwithstanding clause and it looked like bullying from the government. QP had the front seat, the driver's seat at that point. Now, I don't think they have it. I think I think people are looking at this like, OK, you got some wage increases. Now you want some staff as, as well. I, I don't think that's what this was about. It was about the wages. And it looks like we have been able to find some middle ground on that. So why are you going on strike? And to me, when when they say it's 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 not about the money, it, it's it's about the money. Uh, let's go to the phones and uh, let's go to uh, Derek uh, first. Uh, Derek, you're you're raising you're a single father and you're raising uh, four boys. Uh, what's your thoughts on what we heard uh, today uh, from QP and, and from Stephen Lecce? Derek, go ahead. One-year-old father raising 17, 15, 14, and seven-year-old boys. I, you know, I can tell you one thing. Uh, When Doug Ford put in that notwithstanding clause, I went, attaboy. Because this is QP's ammo. Well, we'll just go on strike. And this is not. Like, everybody in the planet couldn't use more money right now. This is not the time to hurt our children. They've been out of school, messed up, socially dysfunctional for two years now. The last thing we need is our children not to be in school. And this is horrendous. What are you going to do with your kids if there is a strike on Monday? Well, my three older boys, they can take care of themselves and do their online thing and stuff like that. But my seven-year-old boy, 
if they, they, he will not be doing online. Because I cannot take the time to spend half a day on a computer to make sure he gets his schooling. I have enough homework to do when they send all this homework home with him at night. You know, like, I mean, it, this is not the time for this. Everybody needs more money. This is not a good situation. Our kids do not need to suffer anymore. And this is QP's MO. All right, Derek. Th- thanks. Appreciate, appreciate the call and your and your thoughts. And uh, if you want to give us a call about what's happening between QP and the Ontario government, uh, you can do that. Uh, we want to hear from you. 855-633-1010. Where do you uh, stand right now when things have gone differently uh, and, and switch where, you know, they went back to the bargaining table. They have not found uh, any, uh, you know, common ground to find, uh, you know, an agreement on this. Your kids look like it, they're going to be out of school again. Let's go to uh, Ottawa up next. And David, uh, David, uh, what do what you do think? You think where, where was your support uh, when this first happened? And uh, now where do you, where do you land on this? Okay. My support was for the government. I thought the uh, notwithstanding clause was very harsh and didn't didn't look good. But, hey, buddy, if this is the way that uh, QP wants to play, they're coming very close on the money, so now they're dragging out the other skeleton in the closet. Well, that's fine. Do you know how many people would need to be hired to put an education worker, early child educator, in every single kindergarten class in Ontario? That's just really, really pushing it too far. I'd say go tell them all to, to take what they're offered or the notwithstanding clauses. Going back in, this time I support the notwithstanding clause. Okay. Thanks, David. Appreciate the call. one 1010 if you want to comment on this. And this is all kind of broke this morning where we heard press conferences from both sides of, uh, of this issue. And, you know, it's one of those things. Whenever unions and kids in school get involved, no matter what, we get tension and we get a lot of opinions from both sides. And I feel that QP will lose the support that they did have just a few days ago. A 71010 if you want to text us, 855-633-1010. More of News Talk today. Mike Kaycook filling in here on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. is News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Man, I wish I had that guy's voice. Sweet voice, sweet deep radio voice introducing iHeartRadio Talk Network, News Talk Today. Mike Kaycook filling in. Uh, I do the morning show at AM 800 CKLW in Windsor. So uh, Mark Tui will be back tomorrow. And we've been talking about this whole issue. If you're just joining us uh, with uh, really just all of a sudden came up this morning again between QP and the Ontario government and the fact that QP has now put in place that uh, more than five uh, 50,000 education workers in the province set to go on strike Monday after the union filed a five day strike notice this morning. Uh, QP saying the strike uh, notice was uh, filed after bargaining talks with the province broke down again. So we got five days. I mean, you know, maybe this is going to pressure both sides to get something done before Monday. You know, hopefully that's the case. Hopefully they're at the table even right now. QP say it did reach middle ground with the government on wages. 
you know, I, I thought when they first came out, they wanted 11% uh, yearly uh, bump in wages. I'm like, okay, oh, <laughs> what do you want? Oh, so do I. Uh, they weren't going to get that, but I guess they're, they're getting close or are close or have agreed on that, but they want staffing levels to be guaranteed. Where do you stand on this? Your kids may be at a, uh, at a school in Ontario come Monday. And what are you going to do? Uh, who do you support at this point? Let's go to uh, Ju- uh, Julie up next, who's calling us from Richmond Hill here on the iHeart Radio Talk Network. Julie, you have two kids uh, that need more help from education assistance. Yes, thank you for taking my call. So I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, uh, both on the, on the autism spectrum. My five-year-old is in SK now and needs the EA support in his classroom, and it's very infuriating hearing um, people calling into your show, and no one's taking the perspective of the children who need the support. Oh, we lost you for a second, Julie. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm not sure where I cut off. Um, I was saying that it's frustrating that your callers aren't um, able to put themselves into the shoes of the families who actually need this additional support. Um, my son is in a, he's in a regular SK class right now, and um, he doesn't receive nearly as much support that he needs. And, you know, I just had a meeting with the school last week, and they said that I may want to consider for next year putting him into a community class because there isn't going to be any support for grade one. Uh, now my son is very... Like, you wouldn't even necessarily know that he was on the spectrum. He functions very well in a regular class but needs some additional support, and there just isn't the funding to give that to him. And they're trying to force him into into a class that he doesn't actually need. You know, those classes are great for students who need those, and they're a godsend. Um, but for kids who who can be mainstreamed, there isn't the there aren't the resources for it. So I fully I'm glad that this issue is being brought up front and center because um, it's a very isn't it up to the government family. though, Julie, to decide the staffing levels, or do you want QP to try to pressure them in because the government's not going to do it? So you know someone's got to fight for them. So I talked to the schools, and they say it's all about the government. There isn't enough funding. The government isn't giving the funding for it. And you know I've explored getting you know an educational lawyer to try to fight, but you're fighting the government. This is up to the government, not the schools. Okay. Thanks, Julie, for the call. Appreciate it. And you can give us a call, 855-633-1010. Also, text us at 71010. Samantha Pope is uh, looking at your texts right now that are coming in. Uh, What are people saying, uh, Sam? Yeah, so we have a lot of texts coming in. And um, this one in particular caught my eye, and it's it's a sentiment that's come up a few times on the board. Um, One person saying, Lecce is unconscionable. He is using the repeal of the bill as a bargaining chip when it never should have been put in place to begin with. Lecce says special needs students need routines. He has no idea. I am an EA who has to support two students with ASD in the classroom. It is impossible to help all special needs students with the staffing we have. Lecce has no idea what actually happens in the classroom. The regression of students that he talks about is because the government is giving schools no money to add EAs and ECEs. And then uh, we have Jen from Peterborough saying, I support QP because the government went too far with the legislation. But now it turns out QP really is as nasty as people say. I think parents need to push back and demand the education dollars follow the kids and give parents the option to opt out of this nonsense so the kids can have a valuable education. 
Hmm. Okay. It's interesting to see, to see the text and both sides coming in. And, you know, I just, I just think QP kind of overplayed their hand with this and uh, another, uh, you know, other, other callers are coming in and it looks like most people, I mean, to these airwaves, any this show here, news talk today are, are sick of the union. Let's go uh, next to Colin and see what he has to say here on News Talk today. Uh, Colin, uh, where do you stand on the issue between QP and the government? Well, I'm here. I'm, I'm in total support of QP and, and, he, and the need for more workers. And he, here's my reasoning. Um, right now in Canada, we have this program where we, we import in like hundreds of thousands of, of immigrants yearly. And, and the goal is for 500,000 immigrants each year up to um, 2025. Well, okay, we build new houses because um, we need, because uh, we have a lot of immigrants, right? So we need new homes. That also translates to schools. We're going to have a lot more students in the schools. So we're going to have overcrowded classes, and we probably already do have that, which means we get more responsibility for the teachers and the support workers. So hence the reason why you need more workers, because we bringing in more students also. So yeah, well, it makes sense. It, it, it makes sense, Colin, what you're saying. But also, when we bring in, you know, more people, you know, we've heard about the immigration story where the government wants to bring in 500,000 new immigrants a year for the uh, the next number of years, and that is going to increase, increase the population. But then you would hope the government would, as that increases, the population increases, they hire. Maybe some of those immigrants that uh, that have the education to do these jobs as education assistants, or that are able to go to school once they come here to get this proper training. Well, well, well we we have the problem right now because the, the immigrants are already here. I'm one of them. I came years before, but um, the, the immigrants are already here. So, which means the classes are already um, larger than than they should be. And that hasn't kept up, you think, uh, right now with the staffing levels, with the, the immigrants who've already come here for the last few years or whatever it might be? No, it have not. I, I have not. But, but uh, what I think happened, I think the government is rolling the dice again because the government figured, okay, the people are not going to go along with this strike again, so let's roll the dice and play hard, hardball and see what happens. Okay. But I think right, it's calculating again. Appreciate the call. You can call us 855-633-1010. QP announcing this morning that there were an impasse uh, with uh, the government, the Ontario government, on what is taking place with negotiations. So it looks like a strike on Monday unless something is done. Let's go to Eric up next on uh, the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Eric, uh, where do you stand on the issue between QP and the government? Hi, Mike. How are you? Good, Eric. Go ahead. Good. Um, well, first of all, I, I no longer have kids in the system, but I had them in for 24 years, from 1996 to 2020. And these people are public employees paid by our taxes, so if they want more money, it's coming out of our taxes. So I'm a small business owner as well, and you mentioned the staffing levels. And if my employee came to me and said, you need to hire more guys, I'd tell them to take a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> Because okay. Yeah. Well, you, you make know, a point, Eric, and, and I think you know. I'm sorry, we got to go. The clock's ticking, but you know, we'll come back and comment on that. Uh, and if you want to comment, seven ten ten, text us here on News Talk today.
This is News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Yeah, welcome back. Hour two of News Talk Today. Mike Kaycook from AM 800 CKLW in Windsor filling in today. Mark Tui back tomorrow. And uh, thanks for joining us. And now it is time to talk politics with the War Room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Wow. That is a very dramatic opening for our panel on this Wednesday. And we have with us today Zane Velge, a political campaign strategist, partner at North Weather, formerly worked with the uh, Calgary mayor, the Alberta NDP leader. And we have Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst, former NDP leader, and Tim Powers, who's chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data. There is your dramatic intro, gentlemen, for three very dramatic and intelligent individuals. What's up, Mike, Mike, you've been clearly misinformed then if you think either <laughs> of those things are true. Why, why do you think I went with the straight what's up, Mike? It was an eye roll. That was like, oh, my God, here they, we go. They, Pump they, in the they, time. They, they wrote that out for me. This is uh, this is what uh, what I was told to say for you guys. OK, well, let's let's go to what happened last night down in Florida and Donald Trump uh, once again. Uh, you know, putting on his show um, and saying, OK, I'm, I'm in for a third time. Uh, let's see if I can get this and running for president of the United States. We got, what, 720 days left of this to uh, find out if he's well, one going to be the actual Republican candidate. Uh, Zane, we'll start with you. Uh, what did you think of last night's announcement by the Donald? myself and half of Mar-a-Lago had fallen asleep by by minute 20. So, I mean, their teleprompter Trump is a is its own vibe, isn't it? And and the fact is, it is really weird. And it is it puts you to sleep. Okay, so 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 brass tacks here. This is not the launch that Trump wanted, both in terms of what we saw on the stage last night, uh, the the snoozy nature of it. But he also wanted the win behind his sails after a big victory last week. Now, we're learning that the Republicans control the House, but this is not the, the launch that Trump wanted. I, I, but I'll also say one thing, that there are reams of uh, newsprint right now. There are headlines that are dismissing Trump, especially amongst uh, the, the new Republican establishment. I'm not going to sleep on this guy. The fact is that Trumpism is alive and well. Uh, he may not necessarily be the candidate. But his ideology, his way of doing business, that's actually getting even more profile. If you look at how the Republican House will be structured, this minority freedom caucus, which are Trumpists at their core, will have so much more leverage than they ever have on Kevin McCarthy or whoever the speaker ends up being. So Trump will run his campaign, but Trumpism will simultaneously still very much be alive. And I think the fear is those two things converge and they add fuel to his fire uh, in the next year or so. So I'm not dismissing this guy out of hand at all, despite all the rah-rah and excitement the Republicans have about uh, DeSantis. So you're saying he's got a chance. Tom Mulcair, oh, does. does he have a, have a shot at this? Oh, yeah, he's got a shot at this. And of course, those of us who make our living analyzing and commenting on politics certainly don't want him to disappear because he provides so much fodder. Um, a little bit more seriously, I think that Trump knows that younger people are starting to nip at his heels. So he's going to give it his best shot. If I were a Republican, my biggest fear would be Donald Trump not getting the official nomination for the Republican Party because Donald Trump would almost certainly, in my view, 
run as an independent. And he would make H. Ross Perot look like an absolute beginner. He would go after this thing with gusto and a lot of money, and he could really upset the apple cart. I forgot about H. Ross Perot. I'm glad you brought him up, Tom Volker. <laughs> Tim Powers, uh, you know, did you watch the announcement last night? You're, you're what, out in Calgary, so it was a little bit earlier for you. Calgary, Mike, you're so poorly informed today. Come on, oh, man. I'm sitting I'm in sorry. Ottawa with the, I'm the Calgary in, the mix. in Calgary. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm mixing up sorry, cities on buddy. the map. Geography is not my strong point. Go ahead. The, the Western Laurentian elites, yes. You, you know when you look across the river, <laughs> that is Detroit, right? You yes, are, okay. I do know that, yeah. yeah. No, I, I missed it because I was hunting with Donald Jr., so I didn't get to see it either. So, um, I mean, Donald Jr. misses his father's lodge, uh, which which tells you so much, right? The kids were all in last time. They're not all in right now. As someone joked earlier, one of your colleagues on this network, I think it was Bill Carroll, it's, it's not like Donald Jr. couldn't get a private plane and, and make it to the kickoff. I'm with my colleagues that uh, you don't discount Trump, um, and we will miss Ross Perot's squeaky voice because <laughs> Donald Trump's bellowing um, uh, bellowing trumpet will still be sounding. But but I just want to quickly point out something that Zane said. Um, I don't know if DeSantis, uh, should he win, has the ability uh, to connect to and find peace and accord among a lot of Midwest America, a lot of that vote where Trump got last time, a lot of those white males who feel further isolated uh, that uh, their jobs and their lives are changing. And that was a big pool for uh, for for DeSantis. I think Trump still, or sorry for Trump, I think Trump still has some of that. So I don't discount this guy. We used to say in uh, in rugby, you know, the, the, he's not out of the game until he's carried off on a stretcher. And from what I saw yesterday, he's still uh, ambulatory. Oh yeah, uh, War Room here on the iHeart. Radio Talk Network, News Talk Today, and uh, talking about Donald Trump. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the cover of the New York Post. Uh, it is at the bottom. <laughs> Florida Man, Florida man <laughs> makes yeah. announcement. Uh, like He is the, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch, who owns that paper in Fox News that really helped get Trump elected. Zane, I kind of just put him in like little poke here to Donald. Florida Man makes announcement. I thought that was hilarious, and he's not going to have the backing of Rupert Murdoch this time. Okay, so the question is, does he really care? Right, I he's don't already know. he's already moved on from Trump. This is being Trump. He's moved on from Fox News to Newsmax. He's moved on to other web based conservative right wing outlets to champion him. He will run against Fox News and Rupert Murdoch like he ran against the mainstream media last time. Now you might say that makes his base smaller, sure, and that doesn't necessarily amplify his message, possibly. But I think there's still going to be a loud, galvanized base that says, "Look, another proof point that the mainstream." Are against us. And the more he can do that, uh, the worst case scenario for, for democracy is that he wins. The best case scenario for Trump is that it actually carves out a, a position for him to, uh, to Tom's point, run as an imp- independent should he not get the nomination. Tom, do you think he will do that? If he do- if he doesn't get the nomination from the Republicans, will he definitely run as an independent, a Ross Perot type uh, candidate? This is the guy who won't even admit that he lost the last election. Well, Do you yeah. think that he's going to accept six or eight weeks out if it looks like DeSantis or anybody else might have a real chance of beating him? He'll come up with a dozen excuses why they're a bunch of bums in the Republican Party. He knew he could mm-hmm. never trust them. And he's going to found his own Freedom Party and just go off on his own. The MAGA Party. Call it what you will. He, he's that 
ego. I mean, that's what drives him. It's actually what makes him a bit endearing to people as well. This might sound odd coming from a lefty, but I honestly think that there is something endearing about Trump. You know, he, he is so hilariously full of himself, such a pathological liar. You're supposed to be almost in on the joke. At the beginning, it used to just make me crazy. I mean, watching this guy lie and say anything that comes into his, it doesn't matter. It's Trump. He, he gets away with it. They try to prosecute him. He gets away with it. Nothing seems to stick to this guy. And I think, yeah, if if it, if Bush comes to shove it's, and he thinks he's not going to win, mm-hmm. of course he'll come up with his own party. Flan Don, <clears throat> twisted charisma we have ever seen. And I'd say in contrast to a DeSantis who has been notable for not being a very likable individual or even having that level of X factor. I don't even want to call it charisma. Donald Trump has that X factor that DeSantis does not perhaps heading into this thing as well. 30 Keep seconds, uh, Tim, do you have any yeah, final thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, he's a, he's a moth to the light, right? He has always been over his lifetime. It's not going to change now, be it Studio 54 or the White House. He wants to be on the scene. He doesn't know how to turn it off. It will only get turned off for him by the American public, and then maybe Murdoch will have mercy on him and give him a show on Fox. God have mercy on us, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, well, time will tell. The ride is Florida, underway. Florida Man gets TV show. Excellent. Wondering if the pinstripes will be on a blue suit or 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 a white jumpsuit, uh, you know, kind of, you know, in two years from now when uh, when the election actually happens. But like you guys were saying, somehow he's he's Teflon. He just kind of avoids all this. We'll take a break. We'll come back here on uh, News Talk today. This is the War Room. We are talking to Zane Velji, Tom Mulcair, Tim Powers. They are the War Room. They are our commentators today. We'll come back and talk about what happened with Poland. NATO, Russia, and the drama with that next on News Talk Today. News Talk Today continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Yeah, welcome back uh, here on the iHeartRadio Network. Mike Kaycook from AM800CKLW. This is The War Room. We're talking with uh, Zane Velji, who is a political campaign strategist. Also, Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst and former NDP leader. Tim Powers is chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data. And we are here talking about what we talked about Donald Trump, the other big international story that took place uh, just uh, over the last, uh, well, I'd say 24, 36 hours is about that missile that fell on Polish farmland, killed two people. And uh, was this a deliberate attack? Uh, There are no indications of that uh, from what we hear from some of the uh, the investigations that have gone on uh, in the last uh, day or so. And uh, here is uh, a clip uh, this morning. This is from NATO Secretary General uh, Jens Stoltenberg, who said in a press conference earlier today, the missile which struck Poland on Tuesday, killing two people, but it was uh, more than likely not from Russia. Our preliminary analysis suggests that the incident was likely caused by a Ukrainian air defense missile fired to defend Ukrainian territory against Russian cruise missile attacks. But let me be clear, this is not Ukraine's fault. Okay, not Russia's fault, not Ukraine's fault, just part of war, I guess. Tim Powers, uh, let's start with you this segment. How concerned were you when you first heard about this? 
Uh, anxious, because uh, I think we all know what Article 5 of the NATO Convention says, that an attack against one of us is an attack against all of us, and Poland is a NATO member. Now that doesn't happen automatically. But I think more concern might because in past times of international peril, and you can just look at the whole period of the Cold War as an example, there, there were... There was order in disorder, if you will. There were people who were tasked with making sure that, you know, you got to the line, but you never went over the line. You had ways of solving problems uh, of strife and conflict. Um, and when you hear a story about a rogue missile um, going across the border, it's worrisome uh, because it could be by accident. And Lord knows, look at the history of World War One. kind of started by accident in some ways. Uh, yeah, I was... I, I, I was anxious for a little bit yesterday, but it seems to have been resolved in an appropriate manner. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Tom Mulcair, uh, was this handled correctly by by NATO? I think that NATO was pitch perfect on this because they didn't jump on the bandwagon. Everybody in the commentariat and in the news media wanted the story. And the best line came from Joe Biden saying, you know, very carefully chosen words, speaking without notes, just saying, look, we've looked at the trajectory of this thing. We have no indication whatsoever it came from Russia. It looks just the opposite. But that calmed things down. What it should do, though, is shine a spotlight on the fact that we are in the middle of an illegal war being prosecuted by Russia against a neighbor that was much smaller for no reason other than their own greed and trying to expand. They've been committing war crimes and they're still committing yesterday. All this had to do with more war crimes because knocking out civilian infrastructure and targeting civilians is a war crime. And it's a high time that the rest of the world got together and said, OK, use this as a warning at how serious this could become in, at the you know snap of the fingers, yes, we all got to read articles four and five of the of the treaty. Fine, but what does that teach us? It teaches how dangerous this thing is. Get to the bargaining table, sit mm-hmm. down, start negotiating, and get find an end to this thing. And no, neither side is going to get everything they want. That's the nature of a negotiation. Hmm. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, Zane, uh, let's talk about what happened uh, in, in Poland. Obviously tragic for those people that lost their lives. It, but, you know, this war has been going on nine months now. I think a lot of us have stopped paying attention as much as we have, obviously, from the beginning. But th- this was a scary moment to hear about this news when it came down yesterday that, oh, my God, then I see World War Three trending on Twitter. It had to be concerning initially. Very much so. Yeah, I, I echo Tim's anxiousness because, you know, if you're a political leader, to your point there, Mike, if this has been quieter than it was at the start as it relates to any sort of resolution, timeline, possibility to kind of reinvoke in the imagination of your domestic audience uh, back home what to do about it, how to resolve it. Yesterday, if you were a politician without uh, the 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 ice in the veins could have been that excuse to, to to act assertively to even even with your voice let alone with your armament to blame russia outright uh, but the fact is that nato to tom's point did a pitch perfect job yesterday to have that ice in the veins so that it was calm it was deliberate and we didn't jump to conclusions the real question here and that really crystallizes the moment and the real sort of notion to me is that this is the fact that we couldn't write this off, that that this was not dismissed out of hand that Russia did this, 
tells you exactly mm-hmm. the moment we're in. This complicated, volatile, ambiguous, uncertain world combined all together. And this is exactly the danger that we have because there is no playbook for what happens next. So the fact next time something like this happens, we can't dismiss it out of hand that this was an act of aggression, an act of escalation, an act of war. It only takes one leader, one politician, one NATO member to act or vocalize against Russia, and we could be on the brink once again. So this volatility still remains. I'm happy to hear that this was not an act of aggression, but oh my goodness, this is a real crystallizing moment for us to maybe snap back into focus in terms of what we're living with on an international and global stage right now. Tom, did you have a follow-up to that? Yep. Well, I think that what what Zane just said is exactly where we are. Canada is, we're learning what a minor player we are. We had almost no equipment to give to Ukraine. We're giving them winter uniforms. It's good that we had some of those, but we're not well equipped. We're we're a laughingstock amongst NATO nations. And so at least the average Canadian now is saying, this is serious stuff. The world is a dangerous place. We're part of a really amazing group of countries that represent ideals, democracy, values, rights. These are things worth fighting for. But now Canada is going to have to start doing its fair share under this government. And indeed before, because Harper never, ever got anywhere except talking about it. But we never replaced the CF-18s. That's still waiting. We bought a bunch of jalopies that were about to head to the junkyard in Australia to try to patch things up. Everything that we're doing is patchwork right now. You know, even... the procurement of the major naval vessels that are supposed to be going on, the price is completely spiraling out of control, and we don't seem to have any real timeline on when we're going to get those ships. So I think that Canada's got to learn, if you want to be a player on the world stage, that includes having armed forces. We've got wonderful, extraordinary women and men who mm-hmm. serve their country so fantastically. And we did send 40,000 people to Afghanistan. But right now, we, we couldn't even be minor players on the battlefield. We've got nothing. And uh, I think... Mr. Trudeau has a lot to answer for on that regard. Okay, we're losing a bit there, Tom. And, and Tim, do you agree with that? Do we have to boost our military in this country? We just had a Remembrance Day last week. We celebrated our our military, and I think a lot of that focuses on uh, on World War II at this point, and maybe some of the uh, the wars <laughs> after that. But you know, uh, I think Tom makes a great point that, and it's been brought up before that. We, we may have to boost things up and not rely on the rest of other NATO countries, particularly the U.S., to uh, to be our military in a way. Well, I have a slingshot, so I'm probably better armed good, than a lot of good, the Canadian okay. forces at the moment. But, yeah, look, but, but and Tom would agree with this, I suspect. Uh, we always talk a big game about it, but we've never hit the, what's the NATO target, 2% of GDP. We're nowhere near it. We we talked about potentially exactly. getting there. Anita Anand, the defense minister, has suggested that we could, but it's the political will. We're in a recession right or about to go into a recession right now, Mike. I don't see any federal politician, including a conservative politician, saying, let's focus on hitting our 2% target in the next year or two. Not going to happen, though. It could be a great industrial boost. So until such time as we actually do something, we're just talkers and we're not doers. Ask General Hildier and and uh, many of his peers, the former defense chief, about all of that, and they would say, yep, you, you are right 100%. We talk a big game. Our soldiers in the field play a big game, but we don't give them the toys to do the work with. Exactly. exactly. Thanks, guys. 
Appreciate it. Always good to always be with fun. you, Mike. Thank yeah, you, Mike. Good, Take to be, care. good to be with you guys. Uh, that is Zane Velji, uh, Tom Olcair, Tim Powers joining us on the War Room today. And uh, yeah, love hearing from uh, each and every one of them and all the uh, guests we have on the War Room here on News Talk today on the iHeartRadio Network. We'll come back and we're going to talk about uh, the launch of the rocket next. <laughs> News Talk Today continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Listen to that rocket. How fun was that? NASA's new moon rocket has blasted off its uh, debut flight. And, you know, we did see this a little while ago. This one was different. Three test dummies aboard this one. Wednesday's Florida launch brings uh, the U.S. a really a big step closer to putting astronauts back on the moon for the first time since the end of the Apollo program. That was 50 years ago. If all goes well with this uh, three-week flight, the crew capsule will be propelled into a wide orbit around the moon before returning to Earth with a Pacific Ocean splashdown in December. So NASA hoping to send four astronauts around the moon on the next flight in 2024, land humans there as early as 2025. I'm I'm pretty fascinated uh, by this. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to talk to somebody who's who's been there, not just dreams of it or watches uh, different movies with it. Da- uh, Dr. David St. Jacques is a Canadian astronaut, and he is the most recent Canadian astronaut to fly aboard the International Space Station. He joins us now. Uh, doctor, uh, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Uh, did you uh, Were you able to watch the launch this morning? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, what a, it was an exciting space party at the headquarters of the space agency. Uh, so there was a bunch of employees and uh, some uh, some media folks uh, all watching on a giant screen. Uh, the you know the dawn of a new era, the beginning of the Artemis generation, as you alluded. You know, I and uh, I'm not sure how old you are, but probably both of us kind of Apollo era people, uh, Apollo generation, and uh, this new generation, my kids, uh, they're the Artemis uh, generation. So, yeah, I, yeah, that's a, so you know funny. that's a great yeah. point. That's a great point. You know, you're right. I, we're about the same age, and you know, uh, the, to me, the space program is the space shuttle. And, and grew up mm-hmm. watching that. It was fascinated by the liftoffs that we saw with the the space stu- shuttle, and unfortunately, the tragedies as well we saw yes. with the space shuttle. How how uh, well? One, I want to know about this party first off. What what served at a launch party? <laughs> Who do you have? The cocktails, a little bacon no, and eggs. No, no, everybody's just uh, chips, <laughs> popcorn. Well, that works. That works. And uh, okay, so the, and coffee is in the middle of the night. Uh, but oh, you know, we're, yeah. You know, the more you know about the more you know about space technology, uh, the more anxious you are because you, the more you know what could go wrong. Uh, so we're kind of it was a bit of a nail biter uh, for you know for space geeks uh, like us. So, yeah, uh, but a lot of relief and when finally the engine shut off and wow, spacecraft is around orbit and now on the way to the moon, coasting on its way to the moon. It's just incredible to even say it. 
Yeah. yeah, it really is. It, it is fascinating in what human engineering and science can do and uh, and see this rocket take off. And no, why is it different? Like, what, you know, when the, we had the first test flight that was delayed a number of times and finally went up and it was a success. And now we have this one. The three test dummies. What does that do? What we're just putting fake people, dummies in in the huh. rocket. How is that different than the first test that didn't have the dummies? No, so this is the actual first flight of the entire stack: the main rocket, the secondary stage, the capsule, the escape tower. Uh, you know, the launch pad, the new launch pad they built. Uh, they're going to test the heat shield on reentry. So this is really the last chance to test the hard parts of the system before we dare put humans uh, on it. So these these dummies, uh, they're like they're mannequins that will, you know, kind of uh, be used to, to see how hard is it for a human to survive. Is it survivable? So we all hope it is. Uh, but it's our last chance to iron these things out. The next flight, uh, Artemis II, will have humans on board. And more than humans, there will be a Canadian on board among that crew. So that will be, I think, a day nobody will forget in Canada. Just like, you know, people who were around during the Apollo landings on the moon never forget where they were. I think Canadians are not ever going to forget where they were when our team is still launches with a Canadian on board. Interesting. We're speaking uh, on News Talk today with uh, Dr. David St. Jacques, Canadian astronaut, Mike Kaycook with you here on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And, you know, I I can hear the excitement in your voice, doctor, the fact that, you know, you have an exuberance, an excitement over seeing this rocket go up this morning, even though you've been on one before, you've been on the space station, you've been a part of the space program for, for a number of years, it, it sounds like it doesn't get old for you. It, does, it doesn't get old. And, you know, it's kind of rekindled uh, as a father in a way, uh, because I know what it means uh, for young people. Space exploration is such a strong motivation uh, for exploration to kind of push yourself to the limit. And, you know, I like to tell kids when I go and speak in schools that the first humans to land on Mars, I think they're born, but they're still kids. There's still school children somewhere. Uh, so it's a dream uh, that all kids can have. And I think it's a, space is such a fantastic driver of excellence and innovation in all, uh, all walks of life. It's as if like the harshness of space is like the little, the little impulse we need to kind of scratch our heads a bit harder. And I think it's, uh, it's fantastic. Nobody's sort of insensitive uh, to it, you know? Uh, so, yeah, so- yeah it's, it's just there's something very, very powerful about the symbol of leaving our planet and to to kind of go in the void and actually learning a lot about ourselves in the process. Uh, it's, it's a very almost paradoxical thing. After all the energy and effort and sacrifices you make to go to space, the first thing you want to do is turn around and look back at Mother Earth. It must be breathtaking, amazing, scary, all in one. All, all of the above and more. It's also humbling and endearing. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's kind of I think yeah it's kind of a helps you focus on what's really important. You kind of realize ah, I just I'm actually an Earthling. I'm just a human, uh, and I have so much in common with all other humans. So much more in common than than differences that we tend to, to focus on uh, sometimes. Doctor David Saint Jacques joining us, Canadian astronaut here on the iTalk uh, 
Radio Network uh, and and the I'm sorry, the iHeart Radio Talk Network. Uh, would you sign up to go again? I would absolutely do uh, in a heartbeat, uh, but that would be a conversation I'd have to have with my wife and my family. You know, they've already sacrificed a lot to my my mission to space station. Lasted seven months, following three years of training around the world. So, you know, uh, we talk a lot about the astronauts, obviously, but n- never should forget the families behind to actually enable it and uh, make it uh, emotionally possible uh, to take those huge personal risks. Uh, so. You know, it's uh, the timing is uh, the timing is 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 everything uh, as uh, as for everything else uh, in life. But yeah, for sure. I mean, it's such a it's just such a such a motivational aspiration uh, to to explore. Uh, so, um, but you know, I've, because I've been, I can close my eyes and kind of go back. <laughs> at the, yeah, you can still I mean, you, you can still can feel the power. I'm sure of the rocket, the the amazement yeah. of looking back on Earth. And I, I got to say, you have a a pretty amazing wife. You know, most of us uh, just want to go play 18 holes of golf and come home, and, and we have a hard time doing that on a Saturday. You're going you're going into space for seven months. Well, you know, what matters is the emotions uh, that you acquire. Uh, if you can uh, you can live strong emotions and relive them, then you know you're all set. Yeah, good stuff. Appreciate it. Pleasure talking to you this uh, this afternoon. So don't miss it. Artemis two in a couple of years. This is the big deal with a Canadian going to the moon. Really cool. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Dr. David St. Jacques, thank you very much. Canadian astronaut. He was the most recent Canadian astronaut to be on the International Space Station. And, ah, oh, man, I, you know, uh, would you go? You know, like if you had a chance, w- would you go or would you be totally frightened? And I'm like, I am not going on a rocket, going into space. There is no chance. I would. I would love to go and just feel the power of the liftoff of a rocket. Looking back on Earth, like that was pretty powerful what uh, the, the doctor said. You know, when you look back on Earth, it, it almost be like you're on a TV show or in a movie or something. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I am on a rocket going to wherever the space station, to the moon, wherever it might be, maybe one day to Mars. And I also thought that was a fascinating point that, you know, the astronauts that may fly to Mars one day may have been born just maybe recently. Like in their lifetimes, one of those kids could be flying to Mars. Pretty amazing stuff. This is News Talk Today. I am Mike Cook. You're listening to the iHeart Radio Talk Network. You're listening to News Talk Today on the iHeart Radio Talk Network. Yeah, welcome back, 150, and this is Mike K. Cook. I am from AM 800 CKLW here on the iHeart Radio Talk Network. News Talk today, Mark Tui will be back tomorrow in uh, in the seat. I'm just filling in for one day. So uh, to, to the whole crew, Chris, Samantha, Tony, who are uh, really doing all the work, and I'm just kind of like, you know, saying the words. Uh, thank you so much for putting up with me over the last, uh, last few hours. Uh, we'll, we want to end on a lighter note today, and this is a really interesting story about a TikTok, viral TikTok account that has found its inspiration through baking and baking in a very unusual way. Uh, digital librarian Rosie Grant is uh, on the line with us now to talk about this. Uh, Rosie, uh, g- good afternoon. 
I think this Hi. is so fascinating. You find recipes that are on people's tombstones and gravestones. How did this ever come about? And you've gone viral on your TikTok. Good morning or good afternoon. <laughs> good morning and good afternoon. Yeah, good morning um, where you are, right? Where Where are you uh, today? I'm based in Los Angeles now. I just moved to L.A. Um, where, uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, definitely been a strange couple of months. Um, I just finished at library science school at the University of Maryland, and it was during a class that I had to start a TikTok account. And at the same time for the program, I had to get an internship, like in a either a library or an archive. So I ended up doing a digital archives internship at Congressional Cemetery. So I was a cemetery intern, and I made my TikTok basically about the cemetery internship. And then from there, I heard about this one gravestone in Brooklyn, New York, uh, the grave of Naomi Miller Dawson, and it's a spritz cookie recipe, and it's like this gorgeous, it looks like an open cookbook. And so I cooked it, and I put it on TikTok. Wow, amazing. Uh, Ghostly Archive is where you are on TikTok if people want to check out your videos and these recipes. And I got to say, the cookies, you look like a, a heck of a baker. Have you been doing this a long time, the baking? I have not. It's truly been um, through crowdsourcing information from TikTok, honestly. I'll, I'll try a recipe. I'll usually mess it up the first or second time. People will comment like, no, this is how you're supposed to make it, or this is how my grandma made it. Some of these don't really have instructions in addition to me being a new baker. Um, so it's definitely been a learning process. But, yeah, it's been very cool. I've learned how to cook pies and cookies and cakes and you name it. I had no idea, and there's a great picture in the story I'm looking at one of the uh, the gravestones that has a recipe on it, and it just looks like basically a recipe card that is on this tombstone of this person's final resting place, and Kay's fudge, and then it lists the ingredients. <laughs> I, I had no idea this was happening. Like, I had no idea people would do this. It's incredible. I mean, they're pretty much, they're all over the U.S., um, ranging literally from Nome, Alaska to Brooklyn, New York. And it doesn't even feel like a trend in the sense of like, oh, everyone has a recipe on their gravestone. But I definitely think it's part of like a newer, people want to be remembered however, whatever like way is important to them. Like it's more than just like a name and death date. It's like if your dog is important to you, you can mention your dog on your gravestone or your hobbies or cooking and so, yeah, all of these women seem to separately have decided, like, this was very important to them. So they put their precious family recipe on their gravestone. It's, it's so funny. How many, how many recipes have you found? So I found technically 16 of the actual instructions and recipe on their gravestone. And I'm counting 17 because there's this woman in Texas whose gravestone says she made the best meatloaf. And the cemetery's oh. archive actually has her meatloaf recipe. So I've tried that. So one it's as not well. just dessert. Oh, we got some food yeah, too. You can make a whole meal here. Mm-hmm, exactly. So there's a meatloaf one, and then there's a woman in Iowa named Deb who has this amazing cheese dip recipe on hers. Wow. Okay. We're speaking with uh, Rosie Grant, uh, and you can find her at Ghostly Archive on TikTok and finds these recipes etched in gravestones and it posts them on her TikTok account. And, and I can't believe there's that many. That is crazy. Have you connected with any <laughs> of the families? of the people that you have found the recipes for? Yes. Um, so, I mean, thanks to TikTok. And I'll add that none of these graves are particularly old. The oldest one is like 30 years old. So a lot of their like children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are on TikTok and social media. So last 
uh, last weekend, I flew to Brooklyn, New York, and I met the family of Naomi, who has this amazing spritz cookie on her recipe gravestone, and we actually cooked it together, and I had been cooking it incorrectly all along. Like She had all these amazing techniques that I was just floored by. It was so cool. And, like, you know, they told stories about her and so forth. And then other people, family members, have now started reaching out being like, my mother-in-law has a carrot cake recipe or my mom has this cheese dip recipe and so forth. Um, so it's been really cool to see this very unusual, like, food and death community coming out. Wow. What a cool story. Uh, Rosie, thanks so much for sharing with us today. And people can go to Ghostly Archive on TikTok if they want to check it out. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You as well. Rosie Grant, the digital librarian, and now is a baker of these different recipes she finds on tombstones. Like, it's it's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? Like, you know, instead of just having your name and, and your birth date and your death date and maybe some kind of, I don't know, quote on there or whatever it might be, to put something more personal, something you were passionate about. Maybe, you know, your dogs or your pets. Or, you know, um, you know, um, I'm a big sports fan. Maybe I could put like a Detroit Tigers D on, on my tombstone. You know, that might work. Uh, producer uh, Sam, uh, wh- what would you put on your tombstone? Any ideas? Oh, gosh. Uh, what would I put on my tombstone? Um, like I, a microphone, maybe? Yeah, like a microphone. Or, I mean, I love, God, I love music. Maybe some type of like song lyric on there. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know what I'd put. Maybe no, I'd just be boring. Lyric. That, that's a great <laughs> idea. Like, a, you know, a line from your favorite song or artist. Right. Like something that sticks out to you. And just uh, I think that's a and it kind of tells a lot about someone, you know, the kind of music they that they like or the kind of songs that kind of stick out to them. So, yeah, I, I probably do that. OK, everybody can laugh. I, I love Huey Lewis in the news. So I could nice. I could put the heart of rock and roll is still beating or something. I love it. On my, love <laughs> my it. tombstone. <laughs> Well, that's 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 really cool. What a, what a cool idea. Okay, we're almost out of time. We got about a, a minute left. Uh, Samantha, any texts that have come in that you want to uh, that you want to tell us over the last few hours? We've covered a lot of ground. Right. Uh, so no t- no text on this past segment. Um, I'm just uh, reading here. Actually, someone says a KFC recipe. So someone oh. seems to like. Someone seems to like KFC. So Kentucky Fried I Chicken. Yeah. Yeah, I never go there. I, and there's so many that have been open, it seems like, and I never go. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the neon green coleslaw I don't like. It's been it's been many years since I've been as well. I know a lot of people like Popeyes now more. They go there. But, yeah, no, it's it's been many years. But eventually I'll make my way back, I think. Okay. All right. Well, very nice. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in today. Again, thanks to Chris, Samantha, and Tony for producing uh, the show today, News Talk Today. Mark Tui will be back tomorrow, and then we are getting ready, of course, for uh, the big debut coming up on December 1st of uh, Vashi, who is going to be here, Vashi uh, Capellis, who is uh, joining our uh, our network, and she will be doing this noon till 2 slot beginning on December 1st, and uh, look forward to that, and uh, very exciting. To, uh, to have her part of our network. So she will uh, she will be here starting in just a few weeks. So uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, have a great day. Enjoy your day. And we'll have all the latest news uh, coming up on uh, on your station, coming up in just a few minutes, and the latest on the QP and uh, the possible strike coming up on Monday in Ontario. Have a great day. This has uh, been News Talk Today on the iHeartRadio Network.